Our scripture this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Hear these words of faith. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be reckoned as righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. As you uh, leave worship this morning, hopefully you'll go by uh, Park Avenue, or some of y'all may have come in off of Park Avenue. Maybe you passed by some of the antique trucks that were on display uh, on the square. Uh, They belonged to Reagan Harrison and to uh, Thomas Wyatt, my brother. Thomas has a 1972 C10 Custom 10 Chevy pickup who he inherited from my dad. And I'm not jealous. (laughs) When he inherited it, it was uh, sort of a rusted out mess. But Thomas and his restoration partner, Jack Gaskins, took it down to the frame. They rebuilt it bolt by bolt and piece by piece. It is, in my humble opinion, a masterpiece of love and recreation, if you will. Reagan Harrison, if you talk to him for any length of time, he restored a 1959 Chevy truck with his dad, Ray Harrison, who whom I remember fondly as a district superintendent and pastor in the Florida Conference. His dad was his restoration partner, and they worked on and off on that truck for 25 years. It's absolutely beautiful. Reagan said that that truck is full of some very fond memories. They didn't know much about working on trucks or vehicles at all, but they learned together as father and son. He said, mostly by trial and error. And friends helped him out when they got in over their heads, which he said happened a lot. When he turned 18, uh, Reagan's father, Ray, put that 59 Chevy in his name and gave it to him. The Bible reminds us this morning that we are more than caretakers. We are heirs. We have an inheritance with a promise. My father promised his truck to my brother many years ago. And before my brother rebuilt it, I can remember when you could see the pavement through the floorboard. That rusted out floorboard. It had more rust than not, I believe. And it is Paul who calls us all who belong to Christ to be true heirs to the long established inheritance the promise that we have from father Abraham 
The promise God made to Abraham expands throughout the book of Genesis. First, Abraham's faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. Righteousness before God. And as a result of that right relationship Abraham enjoys with God, he is later promised a land and a multitude of descendants to inhabit that land forever. What incites Paul so completely in this week's passage from Galatians is the fact that because of Christ, the conditions of the old law have been swept away. And we are all set free from that law. And Paul calls Christ the true offspring of Abraham, the first heir of the abundance promised to Father Abraham. And it is as heirs to that promise that we must keep faith with Christ. To be justified by faith, not works, requires a faith that is vital and alive and full of promise. True heirs to the promise of abundant life calls us to be promise makers. It calls us to be promise keepers and promise trusters. I can remember making a promise to our children one Christmas about a wooden fort. That was when we uh, lived in Palm Coast. We ordered it from a big box store, and I guess I didn't think it through very well (laughs) because it was delivered on a pallet with a box of bolts sitting on top. I hear now you can actually pay to have it assembled in your backyard. I didn't know anything about that, but I would have gladly paid, I think. Not only did the bolts come in a box, all the holes needed to be drilled. My brother Thomas drove over from Tallahassee in that same blue pickup truck that's parked right out front of the sanctuary this morning to help me put it together on a Christmas Eve. After I had four worship services at Palm Coast and we were still working like exhausted elves in the garage trying to complete this masterpiece of a surprise for my children, Matthew and Taylor. About 3 a.m., how I wished my father was still living so he could have come and helped us finish that fort. But I had promised. I'd made a promise of that fort for Christmas. And about 5 a.m., my brother and I finally finished putting it together. As promise-making people of God, we can confidently promise those things that God has promised to us. Jesus proclaimed much, foretold much, but the most important promise of his mission and ministry is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the promise, the inheritance we can make before the world without hesitation or without reservation. And our participation in this promise means we live as if the kingdom has arrived. Indeed, making the promise begins to bring in the kingdom a little more fully every single day. Making this promise is a public act, witnessing to others about both the kingdom and the gospel. It's the good news that the kingdom brings to us, for we are called to be promise keepers. And if making a promise is a pronouncement, then keeping a promise 
is sometimes a production. It takes lights, cameras, and for my brother and me, skill saws and electric screwdrivers, and most importantly of all, action, just doing it. And in our case, in the middle of the night, on a Christmas Eve, we did it. Faith in action is promise-keeping, isn't it? Though we are no longer imprisoned by the law, Jesus calls us to keep the faith to be doers of his word, to the promise keepers, Christ said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And we can keep that promise because the risen Christ added, and remember, I am with you always, even unto the very ends of the earth. Finally, we become promise trusters, I believe. Trust is what gives power to all our other assertions, is it not? Trusting in the promised kingdom, trusting in Christ's presence through the power of his Holy Spirit, trusting in our identity as an heir, one who inherits the promise, for we are all called to belong. Fred Craddock, one of my favorite professors in seminary, told the story of going back one summer to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, the place of his youth, to take a short vacation with his wife. And one night they found a quiet little restaurant in Gatlinburg where they looked forward to a private, quiet meal, just the two of them. And while they were waiting for their meal, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man moving from table to table in the restaurant, visiting all the guests. Fred Craddock whispered to his wife, I sure hope he doesn't come over here. (laughs) He didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy, on their little bit of uh, sacred vacation. But the man did come by his table, knelt down, started a conversation. Where are you folks from, he asked amicably. Oklahoma, Fred answered. Splendid state, said the man, though I've never been there. What do you do for a living? He said, I teach homiletics at the seminary. I teach preaching. Oh, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, have I got a story I want to tell you. And with that, he he pulled up a chair this time and sat down at the table with Fred Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock remembered that he groaned inwardly. Oh, no. Here comes another preacher story. It seems like everyone has one for me. The man stuck out his hand. He said, I'm Ben Hooper. I wasn't born uh, born far from here, just across the top of the mountain. He said, my mother wasn't married when I was born, so I, I had a tough time. When I started the school, my classmates all called me names, ugly names. He said, I used to go off by myself at recess or during lunchtime because the taunts of my classmates cut so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on a Saturday afternoon and feeling everyone burning a hole through you with their stares. They were all wondering why I didn't have a father. He said, when I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church 
said, I'd always go in late and slip out early, but one day the preacher said, the benediction so fast that I got caught in the crowd <laughs> and had to walk out with everyone else. He said, I could feel every eye in the church focus on me. And just about the time I got to the door, the preacher was looking right at me. I felt a big hand on my shoulder. And he looked me in the eye and said, Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? And he said, I felt that weight come upon me again. It's like a big black cloud that I could never get out from under. And now even the new preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me and studied my face, he began to smile, a big smile, with a sense of recognition. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. He said, you, young man, are a son of God. You are a son of God. With that, he patted my shoulder. Young man, you've got a great inheritance. You get out there and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, you know, that was the most important single sentence ever said to me in my entire life. And with that, he shook the hands of Fred Craddock and his wife and moved on to another table to start up yet another conversation. You know, everyone goes through times in their everyday lives and their faith life when they need a little reminder of God's love and provision and even inheritance. For his love is never failing. His love is never ending. We are heirs of a promise and we have a legacy of our fathers and mothers as the saints who have gone before us. And on days like this, we remember those saints, do we not? And because it's Father's Day, I can't help but share with you a story about my own dad. My dad was an amazing father. After my mother died, he decided to move to Jacksonville, where I was a pastor then at Southside United Methodist. He looked for a place to live, and together we went around visiting many retirement homes. I had to chuckle. He carried with him an accordion file and put in all uh, the descriptions and the amenities, what he was looking for in a, a place to live. He wanted something on the water, so he ended up choosing Wesley Woods on Julington Creek, just south of downtown Jacksonville near Mandarin. I'll never forget our tour. The wonderful hostess showed my dad a furnished one-bedroom apartment. And as she ushered us in, she looked back, and all the doors were cracked all the way down the hallway. She said, Mr. Wyatt, they're watching. He said, what? He said, they're looking to see who's new. Said, Mr. Wyatt, you're sort of fresh meat around here. <laughs> Get used to it. I'll never forget that tour. She showed him the sliding glass door that went outside. Everybody had a little place, a little plot for their own garden, which my dad loved. He was near the creek, so he could 
park his uh, canoe near there. It had everything he was looking for in amenities. Within a month or two, my dad had joined the line dancing club. <laughs> he was in the billiards club. He had purchased a three-wheel bike to get around their expansive grounds. Had already taken a number of field trips to visit the submarine base and go out for seafood on the St. John's River and at Panavija Beach. He was having a blast. The time of his life. He only lived another year, though. He had taken the trip of a lifetime, visiting every relative he could find in Alabama and in the southeast, including all of his children and grandchildren. And when he returned, he had developed a really bad cold, which turned suddenly into pneumonia. He became weaker by the day, and he kept telling me he had a birthday card for me, our birthday and Father's Day. My birthday is June 13th. Father's Day comes the next week. He said, I got a great card for you, son, but I, I put it in a good spot. Do you all do that? And now I can't find it. He said, I think you'd like it. It says just about everything I've always wanted to say to you as your dad, but possibly didn't. Sunday afternoon, I was preparing to preach our 530 Vespers service, and I got a phone call that my father was not doing well. The nurse told me to come as quickly as I could, and he grabbed the phone, and I could hear him as in his labored breathing, he shouted out these words, bring the living will. He had forgotten to bring it with him to the hospital, and he was worried that he would die hooked up to all these tubes and ventilators and things that uh, he had watched his brothers die with. Scroll forward about six months. I was going through the remaining boxes we had moved out of my father's apartment that were stored in my garage. When I got down to the very last box, I looked, and sticking out under the flap of that piece of cardboard was this birthday card. I sat on the boxes and I began to read it with tears really flowing down my eyes. I can hardly see it. And it says, son, you're special to me. What is a son? He's the feeling of pride in the heart of each parent. He's so many wonderful things. He's the hope for the future that makes the days brighter in spite of whatever life brings. For life is not perfect and problems arise, but a son who is special and dear brings joy to the family in such a warm way. And he's loved more and more every year. With warmest wishes and special thoughts and loving pride, because it's your birthday and because, son, you're special to me, have a great day. And then penned in his own handwriting, he wrote these words, You're a great son, a great husband, and a great father, and I am so pleased that you Love Dad. It was probably the greatest Father's Day gift I ever had. And on this Father's Day, as we remember the promises of God's love for us, we belong to the family of God. We are joint heirs. We have an inheritance through our Heavenly Father's love. 
And we have inherited the gift of eternal and everlasting life through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. There's a hymn called, In Christ There Is No East or West. In him, no north or south, we are one great people of faith. We're children of the living God. We're kin to each other. On this Father's Day, may we remember your inheritance. May you claim it with boldness and strength. May you never forget that you are a son and daughter of the living God. Let us pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for who you are, for who we are in you, and most importantly, for whose we are, for we belong to you, O God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us, for claiming us, for adopting us as your own. And Lord, continue to teach us in the days ahead. In sorrow, in joy, in life, in death, in life beyond death, Lord, we are not alone. For you are with us. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we